Welcome back for another week as we learn Perek Tet Vav of Shmuel Aleph. Our learning is dedicated to Yulia Nishmat Rivka Badyakov Alevi, Lucy Mai, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Naomi Nitzi Hallander, complete refuel for all Cholim, and specifically for a continued refuel Shlema for Meirish Shoshana Batsara Rivka. And by Michelle and Gary Friedman in memory of Chana Malka Bat David and Rafush Lehman for Rachel Miral Hinda Bat Miriam Rifka. Our half year sponsor, Rafush Lehman for Menucha Tobah Bat Shashana Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor, Rafush Lehman for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael. And a safe return of all of our Chayalim and all of the Chatufim. Rafush Lehman for Yudad Yechaiman of Yurifka Chaya, Brachavigal Bat Rachel Gita, Tehila Batya Bat Chaya Tova, Shimon Ben Elka, and Shadokim for all those in need. Okay, here we find ourselves at the beginning of Perek Tet Vav. It's a difficult Perek on so many levels. First of all, it's a difficult Perek because we find ourselves seeing Shmuel and Shaul making their final departure one from the other. And that is not simple to watch. That's number one. Number two, the other piece that makes it very difficult is that there is a moral piece that's just very, very, very hard to stomach in this Perek. And I think that that's an even bigger problem to this Perek, but to the myth of Mechias Amalek, the idea that we have to wipe out Amalek, killing men, women, and children, it's it's really, 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 really challenging to understand. It's only recently that I saw the explanations that suggests that perhaps Amalek doesn't have to die. Amalek has an out. If Amalek surrenders and says, I acknowledge God, they could do tshuva. It's an unbelievable thing. It's We're changing the entire way we look at it. It's if Amalek continues upon the path that they are on, then they deserve to be destroyed fully. Men, women, and children. But if not, there is the ability to change that. And that's a huge, huge difference. Let's pick up from the beginning. Shmuel says to Shaul, God sent me to anoint you as the king over the na- our nation of over Israel. And now listen, listen to the words of God. So Rashi says, what, what's going on here? You messed up once. Smadar Rosenzweig points out beautifully in a sheer on our Perek that in order to properly understand our Perek, we have to go back to the last Perek. The last Perek was where Shmuel was told to do something and he doesn't. He fails. Yonatan succeeds. And we see that there's the beginning of this tension between Yonatan and Shaul. Yonatan has this path of belief in God Shaul's belief in God, not so clear. And so last time already, we were told that it's not so clear that Shmuel would be able to accept Shaul continuing to be the king. And now he's told, listen, you messed up once. There, I can make an argument. I can make the case to save you. Twice I can't. You got to do exactly what I say. So that is, I believe, the idea that both Rashi and the Malbim takes a little bit further and says, this is what you have to do. I'm giving you this shlichut. You cannot mess up again. As the Malbim says, The ability for the kingship to stay in your family for a while is dependent upon this test. What's the test? So says God, I remembered. I remembered what Amalek did to Yisrael. That did to you when coming out of Mitzrayim. Now, when you look at this Pasuk, the first thing that probably sticks out is that this Pasuk is longer than it needs to be. Why do I need those four words? What's the purpose of telling me that they they came to you along the way? We're not going to answer that question now. But I think it's really critical to keep that in the back of our minds. Why do we need those words? 
What's the purpose there? What exactly is going on in these psukim? What are we supposed to do with them? And that is a very, very, very important, very important thing to understand. So now, what's the commandment? I want you to go, and I want you to kill the people of Amalek, and destroy them. We're going to circle back to the word at the very end. But those that have been with us for a while are probably remembering. We had the word vacharamtem chayrem, chayrem by Yericho, way back at the beginning. Now we also have chayrem. And the question also to put on the back burner, not only why baderech, but is there something significant between the two stories that connects them? Is it the same idea of chayrem? destroy everything that they have below and do not have any compassion. That is so hard. So hard. You're asking the Jewish people, the Jewish people who in our very DNA is the idea of being gomle chesed, rachmanim. We have such mercy. God is saying, you can't, not even a little bit. And kill them. Man to woman, child, baby, all of their animals. Why? Why do you have to do all of that? It sounds so horrific. Why do you have to do that? Now, in general, the idea of wiping out everything that they have in addition to killing the people, is a question. Why do you have to do that? There's an opportunity here. You kill them, and you they have a lot of stuff. You could actually do well on it. Why is it that nothing could be left at the end? So it's a machloke between the Rash, Rashi and Radak in terms of what, what what's with the animals. Rashi says, Mishorvad says, Shayu balek shafim, umishanim atzman v'domim lebehema that they were sorcerers and they were able to turn themselves into animals. In fact, that is one opinion how if everybody is killed and one person survives, how it's possible that Amalek continues to be for generations afterwards. David Amalek still fights with the Amalekim many, many years later. Why is that? So it could be that one of the women turned herself into a sheep because she was a mechashefa, she was a, a witch, and uh, and then somehow Agag had the opportunity to to have a child with her. The sheep was spared, and Amalek lives to see another day. That's the opinion of Rashi. Says the Radak, Kim If there is one animal that survives, Yom People will say, "Oh, this is the sheep. This is the donkey that belongs to Amalek." The Torah says destroy all of Amalek. Every little bit. The only way to ensure that there is nothing there is nobody will ever say, oh, that is. That is the house of. That is the the car of. Sometimes when people live in a place for a very long time and then they sell their house and someone else buys it, for a long time afterwards, people are like, oh, you go to so you know that house. Where? It's so-and-so's house. I bet the person's been out of there for a few years. Doesn't make a difference. It's just the way we we are. But that's if you want to make sure that the person's memory is completely gone, blow up the house. Right? I mean, if if you had a house and then someone comes along and, and destroys it and builds this massive house on top of it, nobody says, Oh, it's on so-and-so's house. It's oh, the new house that was built, blah, blah, blah. That says the Radak is what, you know, is why you kill everybody. And perhaps the difference between Rashi and Radak is Radak is accepting Pshat. Pshat is that you don't keep anything for that reason. Rashi is going into a more Midrashic explanation of why it is. How is it moral to kill Amalek? It's a really hard one. So unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't have to look much past today. When you look at Hamas and you look at the things that they do and you look at how they indoctrinate their children, 
you see videos of, of five, six-year-olds that are running and throwing rocks and yelling at Chayalim. And you see that in their schools, they teach them the fundamentals of life, how to use a gun, how to stab people, how to do all kinds of terrorist activities. If you have a culture like that, it is not simple to simply say, if we kill the men, if we kill the soldiers, that will be able to turn things around. It's going to take so much more. We have to uneducate, unlearn a generation or two in order to have any chance of having peace. Amalek is the same thing. Amalek is so much to their core that if you kill the men, you're still going to be dealing with the echoes of the educational system for generations and generations. And so you have to kill them all. Perhaps another possible way of understanding it, and this I think also speaks to some of the things that you see from Hamas. Someone posted a great line. They're like, you know what? Let's be let's start a boycott system, a BDS system against Hamas. And they're like, oh right. They've contributed nothing to civilization. They've added nothing positive to the world that we live in. Amalek is a nomadic tribe of plunderers that live in southern Israel all the way down to Egypt. What do they do? They simply exist to grab that which doesn't belong to them, to steal, to rob. Amalek is a partner with Midian when they attack, I believe, in uh, in the Milchamav, Gidon, in Sefer Shoftim. Why? Because that's what Amalek exists to do. They plunder, they loot, they steal the spoils. They don't contribute anything positive to the world. They simply take away. And so, while it's hard to imagine the idea of killing men, women, and children... The idea is that you have a group of people that are simply a thorn in the side of everybody in the world. All the people that want to live properly, all the people that want to do all the right things, they can't. Simply not possible so long as Amalek is around. That's one possibility. Another possibility, it is a beautiful Malbim. The Malbim says as follows. There generally are five reasons why a person goes to war. Sometimes people will go out to battle to widen their borders. When they attacked the Jewish people, they, they weren't attacking in a land. They were attacking in the in the open, in the highway, on the road. They weren't trying to expand their borders. There's defensive wars. People are coming and encroaching on my borders. That's the battle of Sichon and Og. There's no land there that they're there. Amalek is further up. There's there's ages and and tons of history that we ideologically are opposed to each other. They have nothing to do with us, Amalek. They come and attack us. You want to make yourself a name. Look at what we could do. Who did you kill? Who did you attack? You attacked the weak stragglers. You're not showing in battle how strong you are if you're doing that. I, I think of the picture. Picture of an 85-year-old woman in a in a golf cart with a bag over her head or something along those lines being dragged away by Hamas. That's victory? It doesn't take any greatness to do that. You don't need an army to do that. Come on. 
says the Malbim. That's what Amalek is. And the hey, Babura dat shechu shev shechem yirtzem asav shechid uma habiltim emruv datov aloham. And the last one is it's it's religious war. I'm doing this because God says so. They don't believe in God. The words that are here that the Malbim is highlighting explains why you can't make a case that Amalek is doing anything right. So where is Amalek coming from? What's the motivation of Amalek? Number one, says the Malbim, he does not believe in God. It's absolute kfira. And number two, it is unadulterated hatred. A nation like that does not belong. How is it moral? Says the Torah that 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 does not make sense. But the caveat is you don't have to kill them if they change. If someone from Amalek says, I legitimately reject all of these notions and now I accept God. I believe in God. I don't hate the Jewish people. We don't have to kill them. Okay. So what happens? Shaul hears all of this. And he counts the people. So there's two, three possibilities of what Tlaim is. The Mitsuda Tzion quotes two possibilities. The first one is Tlaim is the name of a place. That Tlaim literally means sheep. Now it could be that the reason why it's called sheep is there's a place where all the sheep go. It's in the desert. It's in wide open area. So I'm going to bring hundreds and hundreds of my flock to go out there. That's one possibility. Second possibility is that Shaul actually counted them literally as sheep. He was such a wealthy man, which is amazing because when he counted them back in Paragid Aleph, he counted them with shards, pieces of clay. It's cheap stuff you could find anywhere. By uh, broken pieces on the ground. Everybody pick one up, count it. Here, he counts them with sheep. Why? Because he's become wealthy. He takes them his own sheep. There's a third possibility that Marie Cross suggests is that it might actually be the carbon Pesach. It might have been Pesach time. And if that's the case, then counting them by sheep, when you get Matayim, Elif Ragliv, Aser Alfimit Ish Yuda, it might even be more. It could be that uh, you know it's the number of sheep that are being used for carbon Pesach. But 200,000 soldiers, that is a lot of people. And what do we have? We have from Yehuda, we have 10,000. banachal. A hard pasuk. Shaul comes to the city of Amalek and he fights banachal. He fights in the wadi. What exactly is going on here? So first off, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the map. The map here is very, very helpful because it shows you essentially where Amalek lives. So you have the land of Israel. And if you're trying to like put things into perspective, so this over here where it says Plishtim and below, that's actually the current day Gaza Strip. Maybe it starts a little bit lower than the word Plishtim. So we have, we have that's the Gaza Strip. And then you have the the land cuts like that. So we go all the way down to there, to the tip over there, uh, where Edom and Amalek come. That's a lot. But the question is, what's all this stuff? So Amalek essentially lives in the Sinai Desert that we have of today. So Ir Amalek says the uh, Vayarev. Let's take a look at the dot micro. Vayarev Banachal. So what does it mean that they fought in the wadi? And what wadi are we, wadi are we talking about? So the Radak says that uh, Vayarev is, it's it's spelt without, it's spelt incompletely, but it's Vayarev. They ambushed them, Banachal, right? They're, it's close to Iramalek and they have, by that city where Amalek is, they have an ambush laid out. So when they draw them out, they'll be able to kill them. Banachal, Mistaber Shakavana Lenachal Mitzrayim. It seems to be that it is some wadi in Egypt. There is a, it's called Nachal after some date trees that grow there. And Baravit, uh, Tamar is Dekel. Nachal uh, Baravit Tamar equals Dekel. Okay. Umatzar b'Sinai Makom Shem Kalat El Nachal Be'Achad Miyuvalav Ha'Iliim Shel Vadi Shel Arish El Arish in El Arish, which is somewhere in the Sinai Desert, 
there is a, uh, a, a wadi, which we call Kalak El Nachal. So it could be that that's the place that we're talking about, perhaps. Says Rashi, though, and this Rashi is not Pshat, but I think it is so powerful because it really helps us understand what is going on in Shaul's head. He fights in the, in the in the Nachal, but nobody fights in a wadi. You fight in the open area. You fight in the city. Based on the idea, the mitzvah that is takes place in a Nachal, he had a inner turmoil. The Torah tells us that if there is even one person that gets killed, there's this mitzvah of Egla Rufa, where we go, we measure to the nearest city, and we find an open wadi, and we kill an animal there, we chop its neck, we let it bleed, and it's important that it goes into a place where nothing can grow from it. Why? Because we say we take responsibility for the destruction that happened. Says Shaul, that's one person! I'm about to kill men, women, and children, a whole nation. That should not bother me. And even if you want to say that the people should die, they sinned. What did the animals do? Says Rashi. Rashi's explaining to us a deep psychological problem that Shaul is grappling with. How can I kill these people? They're innocent. It bothers him. It's bothering him morally. And and because of that, he goes in with a very, very, very difficult time. Shaul says to the Kani, he says, get out of there. You got to leave there. Why? Because <coughs> you did good with the Jewish people when we came out of Egypt. And the Kani the um the people of Yitro's family, they leave there from amongst Amalek. It's interesting. Yitro heard and Yitro came. What happens immediately before that? It's the end of Bishalach. The end of Bishalach is the story of Milchem and Amalek. Why do they go hand in hand? What's interesting is that according to most Mefarshim, it's actually not the right place for it. So why is it that the Torah inserts Amalek and Yitro together, and here again they are together? Answers of Bazak, it's a contrast, good and bad. You need to see the two of them side by side. I, I found this nice uh, idea online. Yitro is humility before God, whereas Amalek is arrogance before God. And, and both of them, both of them are non-believers. But Yitro sees things and says, how can I not believe? How can I not accept God? Amalek says, I don't care. Everything that happens, it's happenstance. It's by chance. So that's why the Kani are here. So Shaul hits Amalek all the way down to Chavilah, which is by Shur on the map. Before we saw how far down it goes all the way to Egypt. It says that Mikra Boacha Shur, there is a ditch that was dug on the eastern border to the um to it prevent bandits from reaching the land of Egypt. Perhaps that is what happened there. That's how far they went. They weren't going to go into this ditch, but they go up to and including there. He captures Agag, the king of Amalek, and he lets him live. But he kills all the people. If I stopped there, I, I could be okay. See, if I stopped there, I could say that this is not uncommon. The king was sometimes spared. Now, why would the king be spared? There is an idea that kings spare kings because everybody knows that just because you're the number one king today, doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to be the number one king. So if you kill the king, the next king's going to say, he has no Rachmanus. He doesn't believe that we're part of this elite group, this special team. 
if he can kill this king, I can kill him also. That's one possibility. But the truth is, in Yoshua, we see in Paragyud that Adoni Tzedek, who was one of the five kings in the south that attack, that attack, I believe, after Givon, they're all captured. And Yoshua spares him. He doesn't spare him permanently. It highlights the victory. I killed the people, and now there's a public execution of the king. That is amazing. The problem is the pasuk tetzes ve'achmol shaul va'am alagag v'almeitav atzon v'abakar v'amishnim v'alakarim v'alakol atov v'lo avu achrimam. Shaul felt bad. Chamal. God said, "Don't have chemla alagag on agag v'almeitav atzon v'abakar v'amishnim." And all the animals, the best animals, the fat cattle, the lambs, and everything good, they couldn't destroy it. The chal. But the garbage stuff, that they destroyed. They had no problem burning it. How do you read this puzzle? Shaul and the Am, they're all, they have compassion. Now, first of all, why do they have compassion? This is an amazing Malbim. The Malbim says that there's different ways to say compassion. There's Chus, the Rachem, the Chamol. What's the difference? He says that Rachem is I feel bad for the person or item. Feel bad. I, I have Rachmanis on a person. Chus is I feel bad because I could use it. I don't want to destroy this person's car because he might not need it anymore because I killed him, but I want to use his car. Chamol, though, is an intellectual thing. It's like I feel that this is just not right. How could I do this? There are questions. They question whether God is telling them to do the right thing. Now that is entering into very, very, very dangerous territory. But how do we read the Pasuk? Shaul and the people spared. Did they all spare Agag? Did they all spare the animals? So if Bazak reads it like this, if you look on the screen, you'll see the English. But Shaul and the people spared. But Shaul spared Agag, and the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Why is it that that's what they do? So perhaps the reason why Shaul, at least we'll talk about him, the reason why Shaul spares Agag is it's meant to be a trophy. I'm going to bring him home. And when I bring him home, I'm going to show everybody, look what I got. Isn't that what the Plishtim did to Shimshon? It's not so crazy. God comes to Shmuel and says to him, I regret that I made Shaul the king. Because he's gone back. He has not followed what I've asked him to do. And it bothers Shmuel. It bothers him so much. And he, he cries out to God all night long. Says the Abar Benel. He says, I understand. Why does it bother him so much? Why? Shalorei messed up once. He didn't wait in Gilgal for, for, Shaul, for Shmuel to come. We don't hear the Vaychar Shmuel. See that he's upset. We don't see that all night long he's crying. Why? Why is that? Says the Abar Benel, the first time he said, I, I could fix this. We could daven. We could make this right. He loved Shaul. But when he saw his sin the second time, he goes, There's no hope. He loved him because he was beautiful and he was a warrior. And he was the one that Shmuel invested in. It's like a person that loves the project that they're building. They cried out all night long to God. The amazing thing is that God doesn't tell him what he did wrong. Shaul has no... Shmuel has no idea what he did wrong. 
gets up early in the morning. And he says, God gives him the messages. Where is he? Where is he? So he is by Carmel. And he's going around in a circle on his way back to Gilgal. Now it's nice when you have Navua because Navua tells you where to go. He doesn't have to go traveling looking for him. He knows where to find him. He goes to Gilgal. I, I wanted the map to point out that this is Carmel. Lest we think that it's Hara Carmel that's all the way up north. Vinay Matsiv Yad. What is he doing there? He's Matsiv Yad. What is Matsiv Yad? Sarashi says he's building a Mizbeach. They've got lots of animals. They're going to bring lots of sacrifices. The Ralbag um, says that he it was a place that they were going to worship God and, and say thank you. Thank you. Wow, God, we won. We won big. What this should tell you is that in Shmuel, in Shaul's mind, he does not even think he did anything wrong. He is saying everything's good. Everything is fine. So but he's Matziv Yad. What is Matziv Yad? Is there another possibility? And this is the explanation I heard from Rabbi Alex Israel. Matziv Lo Yad. He's making for himself a Yad. Yad Av Shalom. Nowadays we have a place Yad Mordechai. It's a monument. It's a monument to his victory. In fact, if you read the Psukim carefully, Pasuk Vav, he says to the, uh, to, to the Kani, to Yitro's family, Penosif Chaimo. I might destroy you. Vait post he captures him. Vayachmol Shaul, there's so much that's done in singular. Vayach Shaul. The whole battle is supposed to be about God. Kiyadal Keska. Milchama Shem Bamalik me door door. And yet Shaul makes it into his own battle. Now, what is Matsiv Loyad? He makes for himself a monument. Now, what I like about this monument on the screen is we have no idea who those soldiers are. Those are random soldiers that did something amazing. There's an anonymity to it. And I think there's something really, really amazing about that. But if it's going to be Yad Shaul, it means everybody's going to know that this was all about Shaul. By Shmuel or Shaul, Shaul comes, or Shaul sees Shmuel, and he says, He says, wow, thank God. I did everything that you said. Now that should raise some eyebrows. Did everything you said? He says to him, and what is the sound of the sheep that I hear bleeding in my ears? The it is an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like the noise it makes. Cling, ding, woof. Right? Those are words that you hear the word, but you see you also, you see the word, you hear the sound. What is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear here? He says, "This is it's from the Amaleki. The people they 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 had compassion. They wanted the animals, but why? They didn't take it for themselves. It wasn't personally. Remember, Hamal says the Malbim means it's an intellectual thing. <coughs> you want to tell me that I have to kill a Malik? I get it." Why do I have to kill the animals? Could you imagine all the sacrifices we could bring to God? Wow. That's what's going on here. And the rest, the garbage we threw out. This is leave me alone. I want to tell you. I don't want to hear your excuses. But I want to tell you what God told me last night. He says, speak. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the Pasuk inside, you'll see it says, Vayomer. that's how it's read. But it's written, Vayomru. Um, the Dat Mikra says that this Canaan also spoke, which would show us that Shaul, what kind of leader is he? If this Canaan are speaking on his behalf at this point in time. You might not think that you're great. 
Shaul, I know that's your problem. You're small in your eyes. But God has made you king of Israel. Now, why did he do that so bad? Now, if you want to say that he made himself a monument, so that's a big problem. The problem is that Shaul has made this all about him. I want to share with you an idea by Rav Bezak. He compares it to the mitzvah of Irani Dachat. What is an Irani Dachat? An Irani Dachat is a city that needs to be completely destroyed. It's a city that has gone astray. It's worshipped idols. And uh, we destroy it. We burn it to a crisp. Nothing survives. Not, nothing can be saved. Question is why? Why can't it, why can't it be saved? Kill the people. I get it. They're the sinners. Why everything else? This is a bizarre, a beautiful idea. He says that when the city is corrupted, I have to kill the city. But if I take the things, then the people elsewhere are not sure what was my motivation. Did I kill the city because they did the wrong thing? Or did I kill the city because there was a wealthy city and I could take the spoils? By refraining from taking anything, I show it's not personal. I It's not about me. I don't gain anything from it. But the Jewish people are in a better place when it is all done. If you don't take anything from it, you remain pure of heart. If you take things, trophies, what ends up happening is there's a little bit of your heart that becomes tainted by it. Suggests the Medrash that in seven Prakim, when Shaul is going to wipe out Nov, the city of the Kohanim, how is he able to do that? Because sometimes when you're supposed to be cruel and you are kind, you end up being cruel in a different place when you should be kind. The emotions have to stay pure. If you kill those that need to be killed, then your heart remains pure afterwards. But if not, then there's a taint on the heart. and That taint will impact other places as well. Another suggestion is the idea that if a, lead, a leader, he's confident from the start, he knows what he is, he doesn't need any monuments. He doesn't need any trophies. Who needs monuments? Who needs trophies? People that are insecure. Is that perhaps the problem with Shaul? Is that he's insecure? Definitely a possibility. So this is Shmuel continuing. He said, you might be small. In your eyes, but you're the Melech Yisrael. And God sent you on the derech. Again, why the word, actual word derech? And he said, go kill the people. Why go kill the people? Because they're chataim. Not just they were. They are still chataim. Why didn't you listen to God? And you flew to the spoils, and you did bad in the eyes of God. Rav Bazak points out that last week, we also had that they flew to the spoils. The thing is, when they flew to the spoils last time, Shaul was able to stop them. He's basically saying to Shaul, you're going to tell me that you couldn't stop them, but you can stop them when you choose to stop them, but you've chosen not to hear. I did, I'm on this derech. I brought the king back and I want I want to destroy Amalek and the people took the greatest to bring Korbanot in Gilgal Shaul still refuses to own it he's still making excuses and then Shmuel says what does God really want do you think God wants Korbanot? God wants us to listen to him. The best thing is to listen to God. Because the being rebellious against God is like all these, these kesem uh, where you listen to magic and palm reading and different things like that. Why? What's the purpose of it? It's all rebellion against God. And, and being, talking too much and doing too much is the same thing as it's idolatry. Points at the Mitzudah's David. God doesn't want us talking so much. That's Tohu V'Sheker. 
Because you detested the word of God, God has detested you. Finally, finally, he says, I sinned. But the thing is, he doesn't really own it. What he says is, well, listen, I sinned because I couldn't hold back. I didn't want to start up with the people. I'm afraid of them. That's your king? He says, fine, but I have a big parade. There's a big victory march, and I need you by me. I need everybody to see that we're lockstep, you and me. Please come with me. I know, I know, I'm lost. Fine, but come with me anyway. Shmuel says to Shaul, I won't. I'm not going back with you. Because you hated the word of God, therefore God hates you from being the king. Sarah Malka Reichman in Torah Macha for the OU has a beautiful ex- explanation here. Shmuel is saying, I don't hate you. It's not that I can't come with you, but I can't support, I can't endorse you as the king. That I won't be able to do because Shaul the king has been rejected by God. Vaisov Shmuel Lalechet Shmuel turns to leave. And he grabs onto his coat and it, and, uh, and it rips it. Now it's not clear. Shmuel turns around. Who grabs it? Whose coat? And who does the ripping? The, this, the, probably the most logical answer is Shmuel turns around to leave. And Shaul says, I need you to come to this parade. So he grabs him at, the, at his coat. And his coat rips. But the Medrash suggests that it's possible that it is the other way around. That Shmuel rips his coat and says, I want you to know that the person that will rip your coat will be the person that will take over as king. We do know that David is going to be the one to rip his coat. Many proc him later. You have to remember, in Tanakh, the Nevi'im use symbols and signs as hints towards events that are going to happen. And so what happens? Shmuel says, Hashem has cut the, the kingship of Israel from among you and has given it to your friend who is better than you. And the eternity of God does not lie. And God doesn't change his mind. Because God is not like man, where he's fickle, and he changes based on how it goes. So, he says, I sinned. There's no blame here. It's a complete complete acknowledgement of his wrongdoing. The thing is, maybe he really is doing this only because he wants Shmuel to join him. He says, Come with me to the elders and the Jewish people. Come, bow down to God. Why does Shmuel change his mind? Why is Shmuel willing to follow him? It could be perhaps that he comes because he's saying, if you read the pasuk carefully, it says that he says Shmuel Shaul. He's not following the king; he's following Shaul, the person. The person I'll follow, but not the king. Or perhaps it's because he needs to do what's next. He says, give me the king. Agag comes in Madanot. Says the Radak, he comes Madanot. Comes like privileged. He comes to him with haughtiness. Or perhaps, he says, he comes with happiness and joy. Because he prefers death over life. He says, Agag, to Shmuel, wow, death has left me. Says the Malbim, you know why? You know why? He thought that Shaul wouldn't kill him. He's actually happier to die than to live. He says, put me out of my misery. What is the role of Amalek? They're plunderers, rapists, terrorists. Just like your sword 
It made women almanot. Your sword made people into widows, into orphans. It made mothers no longer have children. The same should happen to your mother. He takes them and he cuts them in half in front of God by Gilgal. This is not what Shmuel normally does. Shmuel is not a murderer. But that is what he does. He kills him. He kills him because it's the right thing to do, and that's what God wants. And that is what Shmuel wants to show Shaul. You got to do. Shmuel goes home to the Ramah, and Shaul goes home to Givat Shaul. Shmuel would not see Shaul again until the day of his death. He mourned Shmuel for all this time. And God regretted choosing Shaul as the king over Yisrael. There's so much more to do, and we've already learned quite a bit. So let's try to explain some things, and we'll have to save some of the information, some of the ideas I have for three years from now when we get to this parak yet again. What's with the word derech? Asher karchaba derech is in the... Parsha of Zachor that we read from Parsha Ki on the Shabbos before Purim. Asher Karach says Rashi Loshon Mikrev. It's happened. Davarcher Loshon Kari Vetuma. It's disgustingness, impurity. Davarcher Loshon Kar Vecham. The last one is Kar. It's cold. Says Rashi. Rashi gives a mashal to explain this. What does it mean? Everybody is afraid. Everybody saw that the Jewish people had been successful. Kriyas Gamsa, amazing miracles. They were all terrified. What's going to be? What's going to be with us? The Jews were like a steaming hot bathtub. Nobody wanted to go near it. Says Rashi, quoting the Medrash Tanhuma, if we have one guy that jumps in there, even though he's going to get the worst burns possible, when he jumps in there, everybody else says, oh, it can't be that bad. And they're willing to jump in. Amalek represents, I don't care. I don't care. I look and I see, and it doesn't bother me at all. Rav Hutner says the following in his Pachat, Sefer Pachat Yitzchak. There's two ways to do things. Hilul or Hilul. Hilul is praise and singing. That's Amisel. Amisel is able to see all the things in the world and Hilul, Halel, Lodot at Hashem. Amalek is Mechalel. There's nothing there. I don't care. It does not matter. Shaul is being told, you're going on a derech. What is the derech? The derech is to, annul, to annul, to get rid of the idea of Hilul that Amalek brings in the world. But you could only do that only do that if it's Hashem's derech. <coughs> Amalek says there's no derech. We say there is for sure a derech. But it has to be Hashem's derech. And unfortunately, the big mistake, the big mistake that Shaul makes is he tries to do it in his own derech. So we'll end with two final thoughts. Why is Shaul banished? David does plenty of sins himself. Why is it that he is the one that's banished and David is David Melch Yisrael Chai V'Kayom? It's a beautiful idea by the Malbim. The Malbim says that if you sin, you can't be the king. If you sin in kingly matters, then you're not deserving of being the king. If you sin in personal matters, then you can. He says, he gives an example. There are two scribes. One of them, and they both sin. One of them sins by forging documents. The second one sins by having an affair. So which one loses their job? Okay, having an affair, it's a big scandal. I know, you you write your name on a check and you sign it when you shouldn't. Says the Malbim, the first one is the one that loses his position because... He can't be trusted as a scribe of the king if he's forging documents. An affair? Okay, it's embarrassing. It makes the front page of the newspaper. 
not happy. But it's a personal thing. It's not a question of whether you could do your job properly. Shaul can't be king because all of his problems are kingly issues. David's issues are his own personal issues. He's got to figure that out. That, says the Malbim, is why David continues and Shaul not. But I want to end my final thoughts on this parak. It's an idea by Rav Yigal Ariel. Rav Yigal asks the question, what is the deal with Cheyrem? What's the deal with Cheyrem? Is Cheyrem good? Is Cheyrem bad? And he says there are two types of Cheyrem. Chiyuvi, Ushlili. It's positive and negative. He says, if you look in our Pesukim, we know, in, in the, the Torah, rather, we have Kol Cheyrem Kodesh Kalashim Hulashem. There's Cheyrem that goes to God. Kol Cheyrem Asher Yechem and Adam. Lo Yipadem, Ot Yumat. And if you don't, there are sometimes where there's good cherem, there's sometimes there's bad cherem. So he says, we're talking about Yericho, and we're talking about here in Amalek, there's good cherem and bad one. Yericho nitnan cherem betzivuyav shel Yoshua. It's in the command of Yoshua. Charma shel Yericho mekabelet mashmaut chiyuvid kasher v'chol kesev v'zahabak l'ginechot shabarzel kodesh v'lashem it's going to the house of God. Belongs to the Mikdash. The family of Keni was able to hold on to the plot of Yericho until the times that the base of Mikdash was built. And then it was given to Binyamin. And it has Kedusha. When I go to war, it's done. Can't use it. The stuff is holy. Anything else? Shmuel mitzavel haharamat avalek v'tzivoy atorin never mechia milchama bilvad. There's no sanctification in the Torah. It's wipe out in war. Shmuel mosifal av marchivo toachin v'agdarat alchatit l'dorim mitzvah lacharim et rechusha malek enim furashet. There's no. It's not clear from the Torah where this comes from. But why? Why is it? Because Shaul is being told. Shmuel is telling the Jewish people. That Yericho is Kedusha. Malek is Tumah. Tumah is something that we have to separate ourselves from. Li'olam va'ed. Never, never, ever can I take it. And therefore, what Shaul does so wrong is Shaul does not acknowledge that. Shaul does not agree with that. He doesn't see that. He says, this Kodesh Lashem, this is Yericho style. But he's told, no, there is nothing pure. You cannot purify something that is so impure like a malik. It needs to just be destroyed, obliterated, wiped off the face of the earth. So Shaul fails. Shaul fails because he doesn't sufficiently listen to God. We'll pick up next time in Perek Ted Zion as we find out what will happen next. Have a great week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.